AVXL episode 159 was recorded on November 8th, 2021. Marvel goes IMAX, at least on Disney+. Plus. Three new AVRs from Denon. Just what does LG's latest firmware update do? Why TV picture presets are your friend? How to blow your data cap when you upgrade to a new TV? And quite a bit more. Don't forget to email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Heads up, next hangout for our patrons is Sunday, November 28th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you there. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Robert and I have spent much of our adult lives, it seems, adjusting televisions so that the black bars that belong above and below cinematic presentations do not get stretched to fill the screen. I know both of us have done this in hotels. I know both of us have done this in bars. I know both of us have tried to do this (laughs) in airports. You want to see that picture as intended, in the proper shape is what we're talking about. The aspect ratio of that content, it should not be altered. (laughs) And if it requires some black bars above or below, or even to the left or the right, depending on what format of content you're looking at, it's almost comforting for me to see those bars knowing that, okay, I am seeing this in a proper presentation. The image is not being stretched or skewed or scaled unnecessarily. Plus people's heads don't look the wrong shape. (laughs) That's the worst. I'm not going to talk about some uh, some manufacturers who actually put out TVs that did not have a proper aspect ratio or proper presentation. Everything was distorted, no matter what you fed the screen. But that was a long so time much. ago in a galaxy. Far, Let far it go. Away. Breathe. <laughs> Breathe, Robert. <laughs> the pain will pass eventually. We, we don't bring know this what up. a circle is. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. That was... That was Good times. You know, Story for another day. Yes. So November 12th, Disney Plus uh, is bringing IMAX's expanded aspect ratio. My favorite quote on this is like, 26% more of your screen can be covered. This is essentially as part of the Disney Plus premiere of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That's coming out November 12th. And IMAX's expanded aspect ratio is uh, 1.9 to 1, which is not quite all of a 16 by 9 screen, but is damn near all of it. Um, This is not the traditional... IMAX 1.43 to 1, which is very 4 to 3 slash 11 to 8 slash 3 to 2. And for those of you who are into historical presentation formats, I'm talking about traditional TV, the Academy Standard, and classic 35 millimeter stills. They're doing this for a lot of the lineup. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Avengers Endgame, Infinity War, Black Panther, Black Widow, Captain America Civil War, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and a movie that I desperately love, Thor Ragnarok. Very cool. I guess most of these were actually originally shot in IMAX, so we shall see. I like the fact that this 190 to 1, yeah, like you said, it's very close to 16 by 9, and it would minimize black bars on your screen. You would see, I believe, very thin ones at the top and the bottom on a display, like a typical widescreen TV displaying that content. Yeah. Yeah, there would basically be the tiniest bars uh, above and below. I guess that's 26% taller, 1.9 to 1. Um Oh, then maybe the bars are on the side, actually. I am going to look into that a little more. That's an interesting, close match to what we already have as far as our traditional (laughs) 16 by 9 TV. So 
all the better, I think, for watching, which is clearly some popular content. Yeah, Davinda Hardawar got into this uh, in some depth on Engadget uh, when he wrote this up. One of the things he points out is, uh, I'm just going to quote the man, uh, before this Disney Plus partnership, IMAX and DTS brought the IMAX enhanced home viewing format to a handful of TV streaming apps like Sony's Bravia Core, IMAX eyed, IMAX iFied, IMAXified films. So that's a tough word. Oh, we'll have a prominent label on their Disney Plus screens, and you'll also be able to launch the standard widescreen version if you prefer. I, I also am going to quote Mr. Hardivar. Physical Blu-ray collectors are already used to shifting IMAX aspect ratios in some films, most notably The Dark Knight, Tenant, and Mission Impossible Fallout, but streaming films have typically lost on this perk. I don't know if I ever thought about it as a perk. <laughs> right. <laughs> One curiosity I am seeing for this content, though, is that in some cases... The entire movie is not in the expanded aspect footage or in the expanded yeah. aspect ratio. So in the case of Black Widow, they highlight as an example, it has 22 minutes of this enhanced aspect ratio, the expanded aspect ratio. So I will be curious to see if during the presentation, it switches between the aspect ratios. So you will have certain scenes that have very obvious black bars at the top and the bottom, in addition to these sequences within the movies themselves that are in this IMAX expanded aspect ratio, which more completely would fill a 16 by 9 screen. I appreciate having better content, better matched yeah. to the displays we're looking at. I do. Uh, they're also apparently bringing uh, DTS sound to Disney+. Plus, So all the better. Yeah, IMAX Enhanced will apparently also support Dolby Vision, HDR10, 4K, and Dolby Atmos sound, because really, why limit your options? It's a good thing. Three new AVRs from Denon came out. Uh, most of them aren't actually shipping yet, as near as I can tell, but they do, uh, they're do. they all up on uh, Denon's website. These came out in late October. Uh, the AVR S750H, uh, you know, I feel like for a lot of people, that's the current Atmos-enabled entry-level AVR of choice. The three new models are the AVR 760H, which is going to sell for $549, the $449 AVR S660H, and the $699 AVR X1700H. And uh, all three of these have three 8K inputs. They have six inputs total, uh, and they output uh, 8K 60 hertz or 4K 120 hertz max. The S660H is essentially Denon's new entry-level AVR. Five channels, 75 watts per channel. You know, 8 ohms, 20 to 20 hertz, THD 0.08%, two channels driven, which is kind of the standard, one of the standard better descriptions. It would be nice to see what it will do for all five channels simultaneously, but the reality is, is you're probably not getting all five channels simultaneously except for explosions because nobody watches movies with explosions very often. Um, oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sass. Current list price, I think, for the S650H is 399 uh, this is going to be 449 when it's available. So five channels, obviously no Dolby Atmos. The S760H uh, is Denon's entry-level Atmos AVR. Again, seven channels of, uh, or in this case, seven channels, 75 watts per channel. Heos is uh, in there, which I've been using to stream to my Denon AVR that I own. And then the third one is the AVR1700H, or excuse me, the AVR-X1700H, which is rocking seven channels of amplification at 80 watts per channel, in this case, 8 ohms, uh, 20, 20 hertz, THD, 0.08%, two channels driven. That sounds so familiar, yet slightly more. Uh, and apparently variable refresh rate and auto low latency mode for the gamers. So 
That's fantastic. It looks like even for their entry yeah. level, well, at 449, the entry level five channel, all the way on up to the, the latest and greatest Dolby Atmos AVR, they're incorporating yeah. a minimum of three AK inputs or pass-throughs. And to give you that either AK60 or 4K120, I think is more important for a lot of gamers out there or people connecting the latest generation consoles to a device like this. It's just nice to see. Considering last year at this time, we were talking about how everyone's going to need a firmware update or it may not ever work with this particular device unless you get an external dongle box or something like that. It right. looks like these issues have been pretty much hammered out with this latest generation of 2021 AVRs, seeing that across the board from the, like I said, the entry level on up with solid AK-64, K-120 support. That's just a solid, solid, solid. Hopefully for fewer quirks. I guess technically the, the AVR S540BT, if you can find it, is their entry level uh, AVR. That's their $349 ones. Uh, and, you know, the best part about it, it has the old school, you push the clip down with your thumb and you stick the wire into it. Oh, my. Um, for your wire connections. No banana <laughs> plugs for you. <laughs> no banana plugs for me. Hey, speaking of but, 4K uh, 120, uh, for folks rolling with the 10 series OLED, the wonderful Mr. Vincent Tio at HDTV Test reminded me about a firmware update that came out recently Ooh. for this TV. And it provides, for the 10 series TVs, we're talking Dolby Vision 4K 120 compatibility, which Xbox gamers have been waiting for quite patiently. It is now available. So get your TV updated. And a previous update introduced a feature I wish they would bring even back to, say, the 9 series that I own. And that is... When the TV has a no signal situation where it goes into a screensaver mode, it leaves a message on the screen saying, hey, there's no signal, and it moves this message around on the screen, overlaying what is otherwise just kind of beautiful artwork. And it would be really nice to simply get rid of that message. So, I mean, you know it's a no signal situation. The, the artwork is appearing. <laughs> I, if you want to get rid of that message now, you can simply grab your TV remote and press the red button on the remote, and that will disable that message. So you can just see the art as a screensaver and not a message on the screen. However, if you want to see that message, you can re-enable it by simply pressing the red button again. I'm just bummed they didn't squeak that into my 2019 model, let alone a 4K 120 update for Dolby Vision. But anyway, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I, I, I love my OLED. It's just a year too old. <laughs> oh, Anywho. So close. And yet so far. So, Robert, you had a, a conversation recently with someone uh, who you discovered had never really puttered with, experimented with the picture presets in their television. And this this bothered you. Your soul aches. It did. They came at me with questions starting with <laughs> aching souls. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This person was asking me specifically about a sports mode on their TV and what it did exactly in terms of how it affected the picture quality. These picture presets, they're often labeled things like standard or cinema or movie or THX or filmmaker mode or vivid is another one we all generally see quite a bit. These are quick and easy adjustments you can use to quickly configure the picture for different viewing environments. Typically day or night viewing is where I use them the most. The right. settings, say, for standard, I compare that as a better option than going with something like Vivid for daytime viewing. Standard's still going to bump up the light output. It's going to add a little extra color, and it's going to bump up that contrast usually as well to make it 
a better looking picture for when there's some orange sunlight streaming into the room and basically degrading the picture quality you would have. You compare that to something like a cinema mode or a filmmaker mode where, man, if you try to watch that with adequate lighting or let alone sunlight streaming into the room, it's going to look more washed out and it's going to look dull. Uh, However, if you are in a light controlled room, that's where you can just simply hit the picture preset mode for something like a filmmaker mode or a cinema mode and get something that is far closer to what the artist intended in terms of color and detail. One setting, regardless of which picture preset you decide to go with, take a look at the sharpness adjustment. You will find that on most of the cinema, movie, THX, filmmaker mode styles, they generally dial that down to either off or very low, usually no more than, say, 10%. That is something I prefer to replicate with even my daytime viewing modes. A little bit of extra sharpness on lower resolution content, like say 720p content being scaled to 4K, that can help a little bit, but be aware that you're adding literally artificial edge enhancement by increasing that sharpness control. And if you're dealing with other image artifacts like film grain or compression artifacts, everything on the screen then is also gonna be sharpened, including those artifacts, and it can make them look even worse. So just be aware and keep that lower than higher as far as sharpness goes. And then for your standard or daytime presets, even vivid mode, you'll see that almost every TV does this. It will increase the contrast control to 100%. I generally avoid that. That's like a red flag for me in terms of picture detail, even in daytime viewing. As you take the contrast to maximum, you'll generally lose detail in the brightest objects in the picture. In an instance that I could think of off the top of my head would be like a panning shot with clouds in the sky. The clouds overall detail may go from very detailed, say at a contrast of 80, whereas at 90, it's just simply brighter. But when you take it to 100, all of the fine detail within that cloud kind of just muddles together and it becomes just a big white blob. It's good not to do that. So to preserve that peak bright detail, I say knock your contrast back about 10%, maybe 90 out of 100 or 40 out of 50, depending on what scale your TV's set up for. And as far as your brightness or black level setting on a TV, if it is the control over the black level, like how black is black, (laughs) you generally don't ever want to mess with that. Most of these are set properly right from the factory. Now, some brightness controls, uh, depending on the TV model, might actually control the backlight level be it an OLED or an LCD. And in that case, you will usually have a separate control labeled black level and the OLED or the LCD's backlight control would be labeled brightness. Hopefully it's all labeled very clearly for you. (laughs) Don't mess with a regular brightness control. Don't mess with a black level setting unless you're using test patterns and have a reason to do so. Bottom line, unless you're watching TV in a dark room, that factory calibrated movie cinema preset's gonna look dull and washed out. And that's where those picture presets, like a standard or uh, sometimes vivid, if you really need it, (laughs) maybe you're putting the TV outdoors. That might be the only time I would do that where it's having to compete with actual sunlight. Those standard presets and even things like natural will boost that color and it tweaks that grayscale for optimal viewing in regular room lighting conditions where you have a little sunlight. And also, regardless of what your AV product is, be it a TV or an AVR, Do keep the software updated on it. Connect it at least once to the internet or on a regular basis and have it do the auto check. Get your software up to speed because 
Often there's a lot of little quirks or features like we just talked about with LG's 10 series OLEDs. They get a fancy new Dolby Vision 4K 120 mode this week. And uh, anyway, keep your gear updated and enjoy those presets for just quick and easy changes between different viewing environments to give your eyes the, uh, the best picture possible, so to speak. It's a good thing. Yeah. What's going on with your data cap? Did you blow through your data cap last month? Yes. Are you streaming we, all of the video? Yes, we did. We got the notice from Xfinity giving us a, a one-time forgiveness notice uh, that we had blown through well over. I think it was, I think we got the notice at 1.3 terabytes when our plan went up <laughs> to like 1.2. So anyway, it turns out uh, because of our new internet service upgrade, we had to get a new Doxus 3.1 modem. And then we also recently switched over to YouTube TV for streaming everything. And oh I personally am probably responsible for blowing through the data caps this month, considering I was leaving the weather channel on all day. Uh, not even that. It was more like trying to upgrade gigantic games and apps like Microsoft Flight Simulator. There's got to be at least 100, 150 gigs of data there alone. And then you think about any modern PC game with an update and it's Often, okay, the install alone is going to be usually 100 plus gigs. And then there's 30 to 100 gigabyte patches that come out. And anyway, it, uh, yeah, we, we are now on the unlimited plan and not worrying about it. I ended up also this week upgrading our wireless router within the house as well. Uh, the previous one wasn't delivering the wireless speeds we were expecting from our new upgraded service. So basically we had to upgrade the back end as well. I'm still rolling through that. I just added a new mm -hmm. extender to it and I'm giving it a good test before I make any comment on what it is. But it was a terrific value <laughs> what I did pick up and it is significantly cheaper than what I used to have. And so right. far, so good. But I want to give it a couple more weeks of regular usage just to make sure before I declare it the awesome or the not. But the price was tempting. What was the price difference between the unlimited and the 1.2 terabytes a month? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I will inquire and follow up. So you could look inside. If, if you really think it was updates, right? You Windows key plus I and then go into network and internet and then click on data usage and you'll get an overview for like the last 30 days for Wi-Fi and Ethernet. Wait, what's this um, under? Under network? Windows key plus I. Did it. That'll open up settings. Oh, no. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> look for network and internet. Yep. And oh, data usage. Be, oh, here we there's go. the one. Oh, no. There's the terrifying one. Oh, Dang. there's a lot of data there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let's see. The, the, just the top few items are well over 100 gigs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. 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 What am and I then if you to? think there's... If you think there's stuff running in the background, Glasswire uh, is a really good, uh, really good app you can run, and it'll track all of the network usage on your PC. What stinks is there's not a really easy way to do this for your entire network. I think some people have figured out some router level stuff. Most routers will do lots of things, but they won't track data consumption by IP address. So no. I'm sure somebody out there in the AVXL audience. Our last two routers track the overall data usage, but not per right. device. But you can select the devices and look at what they're doing in real time. But yeah. I don't believe I it's wanna, actually recording all of that. I want log files with 30-day totals for every device in my house. 
um, which of course would require a lot of I don't know manually. Like you either have to do man whatever. It's somebody out there is going to email us and be like, "There's a really easy way to do this with a Raspberry Pi." Totally. <laughs> I guess that just goes to show too. I mean, you're almost if you're going to go with high speed internet service in your home, right. and there is a cap of data. Well, you're probably going to want to eliminate that cap at some point, <laughs> sooner than later, so to speak. Rune Audio uh, has announced a big pile of their partners that came out between July and September, uh, like 25 Rune-ready or Rune-tested devices, uh, including such brands as Mission, Argon Audio, Avex, Silent Angel, and Zidoo, um, which apparently has three 4K UHD media players that are Rune-ready. And I was like, Zidoo? Uh, that would be Zidoo.tv. They're in, uh, also on Amazon. Essentially, they're Android TV boxes with various levels of 4K UHD streaming supports. For me, though, the the really cool thing about uh, the 1.8 update was uh, native control of Rune from your smartphone, which means uh, something that really annoys me, for example, about the Heos application for Denon streaming is I can't click on the volume controls on my phone when when the screen is locked and adjust the volume on my AVR because oh. I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> and so now they, uh, you can do play, skip, pause, and volume control from Android or iOS devices using the Rune app without actually, well, actually, you know, when the screen is locked without actually having to go into the Rune remote app. So uh, this is delightful to me. I just want to say that. The other thing that's really huge uh, in the latest version of Rune Audio is the... Uh, versions view and if you've ever had multiple versions of an app of an album for example i despise the 20th century or the the 20th anniversary version of rage against the machines first album or if you have like one of those beach boys albums or where there's 32 different versions of it um, this helps you to track which version you're looking at in your library so it's good stuff very nice Email ask at avxl.com if you want to tell us how to track the data consumption for every device in our house or if you have a viewer question. And uh, Fred emailed ask at avxl.com looking for some help with surround sound headphones for movies. Says, hey guys, just wondering what your thoughts are on surround sound headphones for watching movies. I know you both have recommendations for your go-to headphones. For music, I have a number of low to mid-range sets of headphones, including Sony's MDR-V6 and a surprisingly decent sounding set of Tautronics TT-BH22s. For movies, I have a set of Sennheiser HDR-170s I use when I don't want to disturb the whole house. They sound pretty good, although I'm not sure I hear much difference when the surrounds feature is active. Do you have any recommendations for a more immersive headphone experience for watching movies? Thanks for the podcast and any recommendations you've got. Fred in Woodbury, Minnesota. So let me be honest. Surround sound effects in headphones tend to suck a lot. There are PC apps that try to give you a, more of a surround sound feel. Razer Surround, THX Spatial Audio, Dolby Atmos. Uh, there's uh, Windows Sonic for headphones, which I think is free. That's not going to help you a lot with the AVR because you're probably not running your, you know, you're probably not going from your PC to your AVR to your screen. The best way to hear sounds in front of or behind you is speakers in front of you or behind you. <laughs> you know, um, I would stick with the Sennheisers or get a cable for your favorite wired headphones. Or if your AVR supports it, uh, use Bluetooth headphones. Heck yeah. For headphone use, I really appreciate them for my PC and specifically for sure. gaming. And one of the things that kind of impressed me recently was a game like, although, uh, you know, like or hate the game, Call of Duty Warzone has an impressive selection of headphone presets that are easy 
to compare, including a studio reference mode that minimizes audio right. compression. And it sounds very good on my 7506s. And like you mentioned, I have yet to hear a surround sound headphone or software mode that really impresses me more than just simple, yeah. good old two-channel stereo on a decent pair of headphones. And while I am more gaming-centric with my headphone use, it does remind me, and especially in that case of the Warzone example, is to double-check your AVR settings and even your PC settings to make sure you don't have like a night mode or compression enabled, right. uh, especially if you don't need to, or you you can take advantage of that with your hearing being good enough uh, to have that full audio experience. Uh, especially, you know, if you're putting headphones on, you're not going to disturb anyone else. No reason to leave that compression enabled if it is through the <laughs> through that particular yeah. listening mode. But that's just one thing to keep in mind. Yeah. I also got to say, I think it's really frustrating because there have been such outrageous claims, uh, especially by some headphone manufacturers or some surround sound technology manufacturers where they're like, it's just like sitting in a Dolby home theater or a Dolby professional theater or being in a war zone. And it's like, that's an exaggeration. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, um, you know, uh, certainly on the third one and, and even on the first two, but it's, it's, there's been so much hyperbole around surround sound. There's a lot you can do with psychoacoustics. There's a lot of tricks you can do to make the sound feel larger. But making the sound seem like it's from behind you or above you or in front of you, you know, works a lot better if you actually have speakers that are above you or behind you or in front of you. You know, there have been some, you know, headphones that had multiple drivers inside of them, but those were always pretty finicky. And again, generally worked with some dongle or app. Right. I think the other thing we should point out is in some cases we've seen, mostly in the gaming environment, headphones that were supposed to make things sound more surroundy, but they actually screwed up all of the stuff that the game engine itself was doing to create effects. And that can be, when you start stacking surround sound techniques on top of each other, you usually end up getting, you know, shot. Were you talking <laughs> about a brand of headphones last week called LCD? Like a $900 uh. headset? I don't recall. I need to look that Possibly. up. Possibly. But I saw one of the programmers uh, over the weekend using that in a competition, and that was just a very good pair of stereo headphones. Probably Odyssey uh, LCD. Yes. The, uh, the new LCD uh, flagship headphones. Yes. So. And yeah. they were doing quite those well like using a, those. Well, yeah. I mean, those are, I think those are the, you know, depending on which model you get, you can easily spend a grand to i think they're new the lcd one i think was selling for a few hundred dollars the lcd five is their current flagship those are forty five hundred dollars now for psychoacoustical effects I, there are plenty of sound bars and other products i've yeah. looked at uh, speaker systems that do that and they do provide a larger sound stage or a, a field effect in front of you that makes the sound truly seem larger i just don't see anything like that with headphones that i find compelling to spend a dime yeah. on at this point it's just more about making sure you've got clean sources and that your mm -hmm. headphones are you know decent <laughs> or better clearly yeah. in this case it sounds like this person's got their headphone game down straight and it's just a matter of yeah just double checking some of the setup stuff because i don't i don't think they're gonna make any kind of improvement with a sound field or a sound processing mode or right. anything beyond just nice clean stereo and stereo is pretty magic. Uh, sure is. Properly. 
Sure. Is. Yeah, the LCD ones, uh, which are their uh, smaller, more gaming-oriented ones, started about four hundred dollars. And the truth is, they're just stereo headphones or nice stereo headphones. Yeah. And then the flagship, the current flagship, the LCD five that I got to hear at uh, Can Jam, those are forty-five hundred dollars. So you can spend as much as you want. There you go. Just like a professional gamer. Mike emailed ask at avxl.com. I'm looking to upgrade from my current 55-inch LG OLEDV to a newer, larger model. I already know about having an electrician place an outlet behind where the TV would be mounted, but as I started to look into a 65 or possibly even a 77-inch television, I started to get nervous about proper mounting anchors. The weight when adding in a soundbar and the mount itself starts to get substantial. Would the heavy-duty drywall anchors be enough, or would at least some of the mounting points need to hit a stud? Is there a crossover point at which having a professional do it is worth not dropping several thousands of dollars of AV equipment on the floor? Thank you for any insight. Mike. Um, I love this question because I have done all of the right things and all of the wrong things in hanging things off my wall, including, and we'll get into this later, hanging a cabinet that ended up holding close to 100, probably close to 100 pounds of canned goods in it. Ooh using drywall anchors. Uh, I'm going to step away now and let the <laughs> professional speak. <laughs> if you are dealing with traditional wood frame construction, there is absolutely right. no reason why the mount bracket anchors should not or cannot be tied directly into the studs. Now, granted, it is easier with 16-inch on center framing than, say, 24-inch on center framing for getting the wall portion of the mount bracket exactly where you want it. But keep in mind that the mount bracket itself, that final location, provides then a range of lateral travel for the TV bracket that's attached to that. You can literally slide the screen left or right to taste. So the bracket doesn't have to be in a specific spot in terms of left to right. And depending on the stud layout of your home, of course, or this particular wall you're dealing with, your desired location for the screen itself may require favoring one side or the other of the mounting bracket. This is assuming that every fastener of that wall bracket mounted into studs. I have encountered some odd wood and steel frame construction where we needed to use a toggle anchor or two in the installation. In the case of steel frame construction, we would always drill the studs accurately, dead center, and then use toggles on everything. That's kind of what you have to right. do anyway for steel frame construction. But most folks are dealing with wood frame. And I will say that toggle style drywall anchors are amazingly strong when properly installed. The uh, yeah. snap style toggles are the best, in my opinion. Typically, you can get away with a smaller hole through the drywall itself. And assuming ideal conditions, some of these are rated for 200 pounds or more per connector. I would stick with yeah. something in your head that says 50 to 100 pounds per fastener is way more realistic. But again, I am a big fan of hitting those studs. I just don't yeah. know of a reason why you wouldn't or try to avoid them. Uh, well, it okay. gives you so, a terrific connection. <laughs> and then you okay. can literally I got one. I got hang one. off that I got sucker. One. Yeah, and, and look, if you can sink it into a stud, sink it into a stud. Use the appropriate size screws. They're either going to come with or be recommended by the, the mount manufacturer. In my case, what I, I, had, this, I had this kitchen cabinet and I needed to hang it, and there was a very specific place where it would fit on the wall between the door and another cabinet. And if it wasn't there, it wouldn't work. And the mounts were very, very specific in where they would go. It was not a spectacular design. Like a French cleat behind it would have been really useful, but there was no way to put a French cleat behind it to 
suspend that out. So I had one bolt in a stud and the other end of it, I was using um, one of the fancy new drywall anchors that are out there that again are, are rated for like 50 to 100 pounds. And they do that by creating a very large, they basically sink a very large, like a you know quarter inch, a half inch, three quarter of an inch area uh, inside the drywall and then tightening the screw down inside of that. This is one of those things where do you trust physics, do you trust engineers, and do you trust you? Um, <laughs> you know, the, true. Um, and and I think that's that's something worth pointing out is like I've been dealing with sheetrock and studs and 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 hanging things pretty much since I was a small child, uh, so I was comfortable with with using these, and uh, I also doubled up on them to make it easier. If you can get it into studs, get it into studs. I have had success with these drywall anchors. I also had a very, very good wall to hang it inside of. It wasn't trashed. It wasn't wet. It hadn't been damaged. And I trusted myself. And honestly, I think the crossover point is if you're looking at, you know, a couple $4,000 worth of television and you don't want to be responsible, then hire a professional. You know, at the very least, have a second set of hands there. Because I think that's where more people screw things up. Good point. Is not mounting the television mount to the wall, but get the damn television out of the box, you know, and up to that point on the wall. Getting the mount on the wall is the easy part. Yeah. It, depending yeah. on the size of the screen you're dealing with, it's that final hanging and it's good yeah. to have an extra set of hands around for that. Uh, one other pro tip related to that wall mount bracket is do not over tighten the bracket to the wall, mm. especially if you're going to use drywall toggles. I have been in situations, actually, I do recall this one time where Say there were four, uh, normally with a typical stud setup, you would be able to hit all four of the fasteners right into studs. Right. But in one case, or in one corner of this bracket, the framing was just different. And there was nothing in that spot but drywall. So in one of the four spots, whereas honestly, I think any one of these bolts that we had into the studs themselves would have held this bracket on just fine. So uh, using one or two drywall toggles on a four-way right. mounting connection... I would be more happy with that than doing them all to drywall. Right. But still, uh, when you do tighten that bracket to the wall, do not over tighten it. <laughs> you do yeah. not. It's more like a nice hug rather than trying to crush and crack the drywall as you're screwing it down. And it, it shouldn't be that tight. People get crazy with their, you know, you got that 18 volt DeWalt or Makita <laughs> screwdriver. Yes. You know. Because don't be there, you know, you don't have, don't pop the heads off the screws. Totally. <laughs> and remember, it's literally hanging on those fasteners, plus hopefully yeah. a little gentle friction from that compression against the wall or the drywall. And as far as those mounts go, I have the same mount I've been using with a 65 inch and a 55 inch currently with a Sonos Arc soundbar mounted to the bottom of the screen with a universal mount for that. So it's a pretty heavy object I have on the wall and mm -hmm. I, never a problem. However, this is a, a decent size. This particular wall mounts a Sanus brand. You can get it. I see those at Costco quite a bit with mm -hmm. all four of those bolts into studs. That thing is going nowhere and yeah. it's a very safe connection. Again, I, all things being equal, go into the studs whenever you can. Otherwise. Yeah. But a, uh, <laughs> I also think, too, for, for a lightweight TV, the lighter the TV, the less I'm concerned about it. Because, honestly, uh, and I'll put a link to this. There's a good Project Farm video on YouTube that shows the latest generation of all these toggle-style anchors and how they perform in drywall under various loads, be it Ooh. just 
sheer forces or pulling forces or whatever. And it, it far exceeded what I really would trust any of these four. But at the same point, right. can it be done? Yeah, you can do it all to drywall. Do I recommend it? Not really. No, it's yeah. it, it would be a it would be either a, a rather light display setup or right. or I'm it's also not permanent. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm mentally thinking like, do you have that drunk friend that's going to try to do pull ups on your monitor, or do you have a bunch of five year olds that are going to be playing, you know, don't touch the floor while hanging off your monitor, <laughs> mounted up high on the wall. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I got a fun message from John. Uh, he posted up on patreon.com slash AVXL. And thank you for being our patron, John. It says, hi, Patrick. Just listened to the last episode, and I would love to hear or learn more about your truck noise reduction project. I'm currently doing a similar project on my Tesla Model Y, but I have no idea what I'm doing. It's already really quiet, but I figure I can always improve it. I'm putting a vinyl butyl inside the wheel well and back hatch area covered by a layer of noise-absorbing peel and stick acoustic foam. Am I on the right path? Maybe, because what's kind of crazy, whether you're talking about noises inside your house or noises inside your vehicle, you have to figure out where the noise is coming from. One of the weirder things I had to deal with in a, a, an environment I was trying to record in is noise that was coming through. And in that particular case, it was coming through the vents on the walls. And what was happening was noise in another room was being carried through the vent and into my room. And it's like, how do I quiet a vent? Well, that's a long and complicated story I won't get into. You can have cases where... You know, for example, if you're in an apartment building, it's really easy to keep, you know, the sounds of a piccolo or a human voice from waking up the neighbors. But the explosions in a soundtrack are going to be physically carried through the house itself, right? The lower the frequency, the more likely it is to just transmit itself right through whatever materials it hits. Um, high frequencies are attenuated easily. Low frequencies are, are, are difficult to attenuate. So uh, a friend of mine who, who builds home theaters, for example, for Hollywood producers, and people down in LA with the money and the resources and the desire. If he has to build somebody a home theater and it has to be flawless to attenuate the sounds of diesel trucks on a nearby road, he's pouring three feet of concrete, which is nuts, but that's what it actually takes to really eliminate low frequency sounds. So there's wind noise, uh, there's road noise, which I tend to think of as tire noise. There's suspension noise, which is mostly squeaks. You probably have pretty much no suspension noise or I hope on your Tesla, you know, and if you do, you, you lubricate springs and, and that eliminates the, the, you know, the squeaks, you might need new bushings or stuff like that. It's kind of amazing. Like my truck gets quieter if, if I use different tires and, uh, Oh, without it, a doubt, you know, makes a huge difference. You know what difference. I mean? Like, yeah. And, and it's not necessarily, I mean, if I go to a, a road tire, it's vastly quieter, but there are newer off-road, you know, or off-road friendly or four-wheel drive or whatever you want to call them, tires that they have been doing some fairly sophisticated modern computer-aided design and they figured out how to reduce, they, they keep the traction up, but minimize the road noise. I found it strange that this person with an electric vehicle is trying to make it quieter and when it should already be fairly quiet. My one comment would be before you're adding, you know, vinyl butyl to the inside of everything and right. other weight material, thick, dense materials, one of the things you want to do is actually remove weight from electric vehicles. And so I would just be a little careful about adding, you know, 20, 30 pounds of materials if it really doesn't need it. And then right. I would swear some of the Teslas even have noise cancellation capabilities. And some vehicles <laughs> do now as well to make them even quieter for 
that kind of tuning. Uh, it's that's interesting. I, I I'd be curious to know if uh, anybody else yeah. out there is you know fine tuning the sound, the interior sound of their electric vehicles even further than what the factory. I'm sure doing. some. I mean, the other thing is is it's kind of crazy if somebody if it's a used vehicle uh, or somebody made a mistake in assembling it. You know, did they forget anything that's supposed to be there? Did somebody drill a hole? It's amazing how much noise a small hole will make. Uh, inside of a vehicle, but I would, I, you know, Rob's got a point. You don't want to start piling on, um, you know, the butyl, the dynamat, the, the, the loaded vinyl, whatever you're calling it in part, because, uh, there's a company called AcoustaShield, uh, or the company called quiet ride solutions. They make AcoustaShield. And I bought one of their kits for a suburban at one point. And I had a conversation with, uh, a couple of the guys there. And it's interesting because they pointed out, to them, it's kind of ridiculous because when you go to SEMA, which is the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, it's the CES of automotive stuff. And uh, it's everything from carburetors to replacement leather interiors to classic automobiles and engine parts and suspension and off-road and track and blah, blah, blah. You know, for them, it drives them nuts because they see companies and they put like three layers of asphalt, epoxy, lead load, or whatever it is, this incredibly dense, heavy material. And they roll it on every interior surface, and then they do another layer and another layer. And on one hand, that absolutely eliminates the noise that's transmitted on sheet metal, right? Because sheet metal is like a drum. It transfers noise easily. It generates noise. But the truth is, is you, it's, it's kind of like acoustic treatments in a, a conference room. If you have a bad, you know, slapback echo, if you have an echoing room because of the ceiling, you only need to cover like 10% of that ceiling to eliminate that echo. Now, you know, you have to cover it properly, you have to cover it in the right place, but you generally don't need to pile on huge amounts of it. So I would probably say, John, before you start modifying your vehicle, figure out where the noise is coming from. In my case, like the biggest challenge for me is the fact that I have this engine that's like 105 decibels directly in front of the cockpit, the, you know, where I sit. Um, and then I have this, you know, because somebody put a cheap muffler on my truck, I have a cheap muffler underneath my truck, you know, so, you know, I have to go, you know, I'm probably going to get a resonator and a Donaldson muffler and that'll basically eliminate the exhaust noise. And then I have to figure out how to attenuate the noise that's coming up front. And, you know, with other vehicles, you know, are the door seals proper? Like I, I drove a Subaru that was a nightmare uh, for two reasons. One, because the door seals weren't stiff enough to create a good seal between the door and the engine or, or the, or the, and the, and the cockpit. And the other thing is because they've done a horrendous job on the aerodynamics on the mirrors, because if you flip the mirrors down, the, the decibel noise in the vehicle, the cab dropped several measurable dB. It was consistently measurable. Take some time and, and figure out kind of, you know, see if you can figure out what it is. And if you've also, if you've recently changed tires or if they're non-factory tires on there, figure out if it might be, if it seems to be sort of a tire-centric noise, check the tires first. Um, you know, you've, you've eliminated engine noise. You have no exhaust <laughs> noise. You know, I'm assuming, you know, th those, those are pretty slick, so you don't really have any wind noise. Um, so I'm wondering, like... If it's, you know, if you have a particular set of aftermarket tires that are particularly noisy, if that's what you're hearing, you also may just have very sensitive hearing and you just want to eliminate the last of the noise. It's an interesting challenge. Good luck. Another tip might be as well for a YouTube channel like uh, Monroe and Associates, where they do the vehicle teardowns of things like Teslas mm. in particular lately. 
you can get a look at internally on a Model Y where they have actually applied some of those dense materials in the frame to mitigate mm -hmm. harshness and road noise and vibrations and things like that. To give you an idea of where they've already applied some materials as well, uh, just so you don't double up on something they may not need it if you are going to go down this road of further enhancing the quietness of an otherwise already silent vehicle. <laughs> oh, this is a problem I would like to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, it's you. a, it's a good problem. It's, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, the, the reason you, you load materials up with mass. If you've ever heard somebody hit a snare drum, right? If you put a, a piece of dynamite on a snare drum, it gets a lot quieter. Oh, yeah. And that's another <laughs> thing, you, too, I didn't even if, think of. For John, he might be dealing with something that is an actual noise that shouldn't be there in the first place. And right. if that's the case, I would then be looking at service for the vehicle to make sure that you're, you're probably not the only one experiencing that. So, you know, yeah. Google that first to make sure it's not a known issue if you are dealing with something very specific. And get the best out of your vehicle. Mm -mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like 25% of a panel does the same job as covering the entire panel. That's what the quiet ride people figured out when they started looking at stuff. And, yes. and then they also do a layer of like three eighths inch recycled material with an aluminum heat barrier on top of that. So um, that's what I found know. so interesting on that uh, Monroe and Associates channel too, where they showed the, yeah. once you tear the vehicle down, you can see exactly where the fluid applied materials are for doing mm -hmm. that very thing. Yeah. And that's after computer modeling and other just yeah. insane levels of engineering to be able to even figure yeah. out where to put that stuff effectively. For the kit I put on the, the Suburban, right? The, first, you dampened the panels, and that eliminated a lot of the noise that's being transferred from the panels because the panels don't vibrate. Then you basically smothered them all with three-eighths inch of this material, and all the seams on all of that material was taped to help prevent it from you know moving and also from gaps in the material from letting noise through. So True. And like you mentioned, for homes or home theater environments, it's usually air transfer you're trying to eliminate. Yeah. If there's a hole anywhere, the sound is going to come through it. <laughs> yeah. So that that's, I think, different from this scenario where you probably have good air sealing within the cockpit of the vehicle. It's more about addressing specific noises. But yeah. Anywho. And you can over dampen a theater, but that's a conversation for next week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hey, and before we get out of here, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of my favorite sports streaming apps that are occasionally doing 4K, uh, which is a nice bump from our current 1080p TV streaming plan. And I am looking right at you, Fox Sports app, and that Thursday night football presentation. That looked really good. Actually, I want to say Thursday night this season has been on Amazon, and it looks really good when they're streaming it as well. Also, for the recently completed World Series, I just have to say some damn good camera work overall in terms of the production of that spectacle. I enjoyed it. It was visually pleasing. <laughs> More 4K. We like a good... And that's a quick tip I'll just throw out there, too. If you're on a 1080p streaming plan and it's with something like a YouTube TV or whoever, and that is your TV provider, you can then go check the apps specific to your favorite sports providers and use that login and maybe get something greater than 1080p directly from their app rather than, say, through your, your 1080p TV streaming plan. Just a, a quick hack. Nice. Hack to check out. Always good to check out the hacks. And place uh, that toward your uh, your data cap for the month, wondering <laughs> why again we went fully unlimited now. Burning data smell. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Dune on HBO Max is pretty. It's long. Ooh. It's not painfully long. You know, also according to Variety, Dune is officially getting a sequel, which means uh, it did well enough in the theaters and on HBO Max, which makes me happy. Because, you know, there's nothing worse than the first half of a giant science fiction novel being made into a movie, but not the second half. Um, or they show you a cliffhanger and then never follow <laughs> no they're just halfway through the novel at this point it's gotcha. uh, it's a long novel uh maya and the three on netflix is gorgeous it is excellent i'm feeling like i'm going to be weeping like a small child by the end of it uh, you might know the director jorge gutierrez uh from book of life which is a fantastic movie i highly recommend uh studs and studio on youtube i want to give it a shout out uh my entire family uh, me and the boys watched it then my wife who is the premier crafter in the house we got her down to watch it obviously huge studio ghibli fan um he built a Howl's moving castle entirely from junk it's incredible he basically turned plastic cans and bottles and waste and bits and pieces of toys and curtain rod hangers and stuff. And it is really, especially if you're a Ghibli fan, because he does a lot of, uh, you know, video clips and jokes inside of it. It is unbelievably cool looking. So I would, I would highly recommend watching that if you're a Ghibli fan or a DIY maker fan, especially when he gets to the painting part of it. It's incredible. Very cool. I'm actually, uh, I just realized that Bill Burr has a new project that's premiering on Roku, which is something I don't really experience enough of. So this Roku original available to everyone for free on the Roku channel, if you have a Roku streaming device, starting November 5th, Immoral Compass. It looks dark. Oh, dear. It looks very dark. (laughs) And it's got uh, Bill Burr with a nice, uh, looks like uh, 90s hair, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. Anyway. If you're looking for some free content, See, there it is. I think the last time I saw him was in uh, in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Biggs Mayfield. He does a weekly podcast, that uh, twice a week podcast he puts out on YouTube. And oh. it's usually just audio. I've not seen that. But that's, uh, if you're a fan of his, that's a nice feed. He does a Monday and a Thursday. Show. Nice. Pretty cool. I do like it. It's nice to like things. Tweet at Robert Heron at Patrick Norton at AVXL if you got a question for us and you don't want to email ask at AVXL.com. And hey, if you need a hashtag, hashtag AskAVXL works for us. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>